Greg McBride, and I am joined by Michael T. Lung. And, Mike, we've got a lot going on over the next two weeks. We have CPI data coming out in a couple of weeks. We have um, the end of the month. We have, what else do we have? Oh, midterms. midterm elections. And looking at, oh, we've got a Fed decision coming up on Wednesday of next week uh, on the 2nd. So um, with all that said, we've seen a little shift in certain markets, one of which is very important. And it goes back to something that we've talked about quite a bit, which is the dollar or the dollar index. Looks like that market's topped. It's definitely looking heavier. I mean, for us to come back and say it looks like it, well, to say that the top's in place, you really need to see a lot of development in order to look at it. But it definitely looks more bearish in nature than anything because you did have the big outside day lower, big volume back in it. You're seeing it continue to leak lower and start continue to work its way off its highs. So it is definitely looking more negative, which lends to the idea of, especially with all these foreign countries, talking about how they're going to be selling their dollars, selling the U.S. debt, and buying domestic debt, domestic currencies, mm-hmm. or prop up their buying power on the world stage. What happens if the dollar tanks? Yeah. Well, and we've already seen that start to happen. I believe uh, uh, China was doing it. Japan uh, was probably the most notable one last week. Uh, I think it was like $30 billion uh, that they had... Uh, that they had basically exchanged, where they sold uh, sold their the dollar and bought uh, bought the yen. Um, and what I mean is, there a specific level that we would need to be talking about when it comes to the value of the dollar? That if it got down to, and I'm just going to throw this out there because I don't know, and maybe maybe there isn't a real uh, quantitative number, but. If it was like 108, 106, something like that, that we would start to believe that we had a major case for hyperinflation to uh, to set in? Well, a number that you should definitely be watching is that $100 mark. That 100 mark is going to be a century mark. It's going to be something that if we are able to break through, much like with crude, it can lead to more of that tumbling effect come in place. And when you see that really aggressive sell-off take place that's where you got people panicking say the dollar is losing value this storage of wealth that i have right now what do i do in order to find a better storage of wealth Mm -hmm. i go and get something that's tangible something i can hold yeah and i i do think that if we are able to break that elusive mark that you'll get more of that panic coming into play so i mean you 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 mentioned it like uh, people running to you know to to have that ten, that tangible in their hands uh, before it loses it loses value and all that, um, is there is there a timetable as far as how long a uh, a hyperinflation um, move or a, whatever you want to call it a, a round of hyperinflation would last? Are we is this something where it pushes our timetable? back six months of saying we can expect to see higher higher prices regardless of what the fed is doing from a, a rate interest uh, a rate uh, hike uh aspect is there a timetable on that it can really range just like a recession can be a month three months a year 
It's really dependent on until they find an ability to put a floor underneath the dollar. And if you have everyone running and trying to get out of their debt, trying to get money off the table before the next person does, it could be a one-month movement. But that mm-hmm. one month could tack on several dollars to corn sure. or ten dollars to it, it's it's something that you can see very large movement in a very short amount of time frame. like you saw in 08 where you just said that money inflow into our grain markets you saw them flood higher and you saw them flood back lower mm-hmm. now with uh, with respect to um uh to the markets themselves you know we we look at it uh, from the aspect of like you said a a, a flood higher and then a, a flood lower um i mean that puts an awful lot of risk out there. It's is this one of those one of those situations where this could be the or this probably is the impetus to a uh, to an actual recession, um, and we see you know a sustained amount of time, whether it's three months, six months, a year of uh, of pain uh, in the economy. Um, I mean, as we go into the next round for cpi uh they don't it's like the 12th or something like that or the 11th of november is the next uh, update last year it was about this time that we were talking about transitory inflation now we've been talking pretty consistently consistently eight percent to nine percent inflation for this past every month for this past year are we at that point where the next or very close to the next couple of reports, all of a sudden we see much lower percentage inflation versus last year because it was so uh, so high year over year before? Are we going to come into a situation where we've got, say, four or five or six percent inflation, but we're, t- we're still talking about extremely elevated prices? Yeah, it's going to be much like what you saw a lot of analysts do with crude oil and using different benchmarks than after the 2020 crash, Mm because obviously that was a huge anomaly. You have a price that is still very expensive, not look as expensive because the year-over-year comparison is based off of a price that was very similar, which was very expensive. Mm -hmm. So it may only show a very slight increase year-over-year and you have everyone saying, you know what, we were able to beat inflation, whatever it may be, but the problem that stands is it's still very expensive. You still have businesses that are cutting jobs. You still have all this outstanding. And while you're talking about, well, what about if it's a recession? I, at this point, I'm starting to think that the Fed is using their soft landing as if we are in a recession. That is a soft landing. Because when you have recessions, you don't like to see inflation alongside of them. Mm-hmm. You see inflation alongside of a recession, you have expensive things, you have people starting to cut jobs and things along those lines, and you have r- general goods that are way too expensive for people that don't have jobs to buy, and it's this very deflationary spiral type of mentality, right. and that's where you get depressions. So the Fed is not doing anything to really shock the market. It's going right along with what expectations are. We've had very minor shocks. A couple of decisions were a little bit outside what tra- what the markets were thinking, but they have been very stagnant. And the big issue 
is going to be, are we able to build businesses here that's able to increase that supply? Because that is 100% the underlying problem. And the Fed can do nothing for that except to allow more loans and allow businesses to be able to start, grow, and build that supply here domestically. But as of right now, they're not exactly able to do that because of the flip side, which is the government side of things with the midterms coming up Mm -hmm. with uncertainty their only ability is to continue to raise interest rates right now right and that's you know and that seems to be the the labor pool seems to be what they're clinging to as their indication that we are not in a recession so as they as we continue to get unemployment data which will come out a week from friday or i think about a week from friday um and you continue to get the weekly uh, jobless uh, claims and all that stuff. That seems to me that that's the one last thing that they have to hang on to at this point. Of you see, we're, we're we still have job creation. We still we are not seeing uh, a shrinking of the of the labor pool at this point. And I think that's that's the one last thing they've got. So it's an interesting metric that they're looking at because it doesn't show that there's job creation and it doesn't really even show that there is people going back to the workforce. What it's showing is that the number for that report is not growing. And the interesting thing about that number is that there's people that are still looking for jobs. So if someone gave up, they're not including that number. Mm-hmm. So if you were on, if you're technically on unemployment, you're still in that, in that pool. Correct. But then once you're off the unemployment and no longer looking. Yes. Then you're not counted. So you can still be getting welfare checks. You can still be doing all the stuff that you have some kind of income and you're just not looking for a job and you're not counting that number. So it's a very slippery smoke, slope. <laughs> yeah. It's a very smoke screen type of number. Yep. And looking at job uh, labor force participants participation is going to be a big one to be watching and looking to see if that number is increasing because that actually does show that of the people who are of working age how much are participating in the labor force that's a lot better metric than looking at these unemployment numbers yeah and i think one of the things that i saw the other day that uh, they said you know also throws throws some of this off is you have more people out there now you may have less less people in the labor force but you have more people out there that are getting a second job or even a third job than ever before mm-hmm. and that throws it off because that's that's a job taken but it's one job or one one person taking two, maybe even three jobs, whereas there's other people that are that are still sitting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways you can decipher these numbers, but really looking at the wide frame is going to be where you get your best view because mm-hmm. you take in all the numbers, you see, okay, labor force participation has not increased, but yet there's more people have taken jobs and the number of unemployment is remaining stagnant, if not potentially dropping a little bit. So these don't make sense. Okay, well, obviously more people, more people are taking multiple jobs, which is making these numbers skewed. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, but I think our biggest biggest stories could come right after midterms. Mm-hmm. If I mean, you can see a lot of 
a lot of wrenches thrown this thing, whether it be China deciding to come back online with demand, which we've already heard comments out of them saying that they're going to increase their demand and usage, or it be what's going on with Saudi Arabia or what's going on with Ukraine, us lending money, what happens with, it doesn't sound like recently, things have been going great. What happens if they don't win? Right. Then how are we going to get the money back that we've been lending out to them? You can't really go to Russia and say, you know what, you guys won, but you need to give us money. Yeah, you owe us that money that we lent your uh, adversary. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's it's a very interesting time going forward, but it really goes to show just the quiet of, of these markets. You have people that are just saying, there is way too many variables. That I do not know how this gets come out. I got a 50-50 shot, and if I just stay on the sideline, I got a 100% shot of not losing anything. Mm-hmm. So, seeing that risk reducing is huge at this point, and just biding our time until we get to midterms. Right. So, a lot of fun. If you guys have any questions, please give us a call at 800-2-MARKET or visit us on the web at allendale-inc.com. But today for Allendale Market Talk, this is Mike Lung and Greg McBride signing off. You guys have a great one.